today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. The Treasury Board is going to announce uh, the findings of its line-by-line review of government spending. This comes after Premier Ford announced a uh, select committee to dig further into the province's uh, financial situation. Remember, uh, during the Wynn government, there was questioning over uh, some of the accounting practices that were used, uh, not necessarily uh, illegal or wrong, but certainly not what uh, had been typically used in the past. Do we need some sort of consistency here? Uh, First of all, let's hear from the Premier, Doug Ford. We need to take every step possible to ensure that this kind of abuse to the public trust has no place in Ontario. My friends, it's time for answers because the people of Ontario deserve to know how did this happen, who let this happen, who authorized the cover-up. The people want answers. All right, here's what uh, opposition leader Andrea Horvath had to say. On Friday, the Minister of Finance put on a show that Ontarians see every time a new government rolls in, pretending to be shocked by the deficit numbers that weren't weren't a shock to anyone who's read a newspaper over the last year. The Premier promised people change, but this pantomime act is right out of the McGuinty win playbook. All right, let's bring in Genevieve Tellier, Professor, School of Political Science, uh, sorry, Political Studies, University of Ottawa, and with us now. Genevieve, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. Very pleased to be here. You know, we, uh, what uh, Andrew Horvath said isn't wrong. I mean, it seems every time a new government comes in, they say, oh, the books aren't quite the same as we thought they were, as what the last party said they were, and as a result, we can't do this, we can't do that. Uh, considering the sort of creative or uh, alternative accounting practices used by the Wynn government, is it different this time? Um, good question. I'm not sure that the Wynn government has really used like, a creative accounting, meaning that there's no firm rules uh, within the accounting community about how to uh, write those transactions. And so uh, it, it's not a question that some money was hired. It's whether, where to, do you put the amount in your budget? So is it a deficit? Is it an active? Is it whatever, an asset? So it's not clear. And so for, for as long as accountants among themselves don't agree, it's difficult to say, well, one party is right and one other party is wrong. And so I think the broader picture is that we should have a discussion uh, to come up with some well-established rules, not just devised by accountant, but by uh, analysts, economists, political scientists, uh, everybody, ordinary citizen, if you want, and to have a clearer picture of the state of the finances. But I, I do agree with uh, Madame Horvatz in the sense that there's nothing new. We knew that already. So uh, uh, are we shocked? Not at, not not. Uh, not, not necessarily, um, but there is a deficit, and the question is, uh, do we want to continue with that, or do we want to raise more money or cut in order to balance our books? That's the real question, in my view. As you said, uh, the rules aren't quite clear. Depending upon who you ask, each set of rules could be um, uh, could be viewed as correct. That being said, isn't it normally done a certain way within government? Obviously, people who do this are going to do this to show the best possible results they can. Mm -hmm. Uh, That being said, should there be some sort of consistency here? And should that be an accounting decision or a political decision? Yes, there should be some consistency. And what we see since a few years now is that government in Canada, all provincial government, are quite eager to come up with one standard rules that would apply to everybody, which is was not the case until uh, a few years ago. And so each government of the day could 
could come up with its own rules. And now we have law. Uh, most provincial government has law in place to prevent that kind of uh, creative accounting. Um, what is surprising is that in Canada, I have done a study on that, in Canada, uh, usually government try to be as transparent as possible because they know that people will make them uh, take them to account about their own decision. It's very con uh, different in other countries, especially in Europe, where we see much more cover-up. So uh, we may think that the situation is bad in Canada, and we see some consequences, like in Ontario, but it's not as bad as as, as other places if we right. compare ourselves. And so, but yes, and so the discussion. What I liked is that maybe we should start a discussion and say, okay, this is what we need. And the fact is that we don't need one rule. We need many rules or many measure, not with one rule, but many ways to measure, uh, for instance, the deficit, because deficit may mean many things. So are you talking just about this uh, current deficit, annual deficit, or a deficit for many years, like with Hydro One, for instance, or pension plans also, and to come up with a broader understanding of the financial situation of the province. So I would say that the uh, accounting official uh, officer um, that looks at the budget, at the numbers presented by the government, that's a right step in the in the right decision, in the right direction to try to have another independent view of what's going on. Not just the auditor general, but somebody else also. It just seems, Genevieve, that the only reason for using this different method or other method of of accounting is to make it look like things are better than they are. Does this, like, this doesn't benefit the taxpayer in any way, does it? By whether you claim this is a loss or what have you, it's, it's really for show. It doesn't benefit the taxpayer in any way. And isn't that what the focus should be here? In a sense, yes, you're right. Uh, we want to have the true number. But on the other end, uh, the deficit that is presented is not the, actually the real amount that we owe in the sense that things may change next year. Uh, the value market of hydro wine may fluctuate and then it will change our deficit. And as long as we haven't sold off all the total of hydro one to the private sector, it hasn't materialized. So I would say that what we have now is a virtual deficit. So something is kind of a construction. If you go to the bank and you say to your banker, what do I owe? It's not necessarily the same amount. So it's much more complex and it's based on different scenario about projection into the future. What will happen, for instance, if I have more money to pay for pension plans? And that's difficult to estimate. And so it's difficult to have the, the, the real number. That being said, you're, I, I totally agree with you. Government of the day will try to present the best number possible or the, the best, sh put the best show for them. And you may, could do also the same argument for, with the current government in, this, in the sense that if uh, Doug Ford wants to cut services, then that's a good justification saying, well, we spend too much. Look at the deficit that we have, which is 15 billion. And so we're going to cut services. So they all do that. I don't say one government more than the other. Uh, you know, again, in, in, in layman's terms, I, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time grasping why this is of a benefit to anyone other than the political party. And you said, well, both are the same or, or both are right because both are, are, are viewed, depending on who you ask, as, as the way to do something. Mm -hmm. But from whose point of view? Because at the end of the day, they're representing the taxpayer. So how can, how can both sets of books be good for the taxpayer? I could see one benefiting the government of the day and then one perhaps benefiting the taxpayer. But why is there so much question when at the end of the day, it's about the taxpayer? 
your rights. Who, who, like at the end of the day, I don't see how there can be two systems that are right and both of them equally benefit the taxpayer. One of them's got to slant more towards a political party. Uh, or different groups of taxpayer, in the sense that... Okay, uh, yeah, that, I see you're saying, yep. Yeah, good point, good point. So, so you may have your tax raises now or in 10 years, and that will happen with Hydro One. So what the, uh, the Liberal government has said is that, okay, uh, we're going to lower uh, Hydro tariffs now, but in 10 years or 15 years, taxpayer will pay much more. There's going to be a big increase on, on, on tariffs. And so it will yeah, but see, you know, and maybe this is my own personal opinion, but I can't see how any of that benefits the taxpayer. I mean, you know, you could say, well, it benefits the taxpayer now because they're not paying now, but pushing it down the road doesn't, I, I don't care what kind of accounting you're doing, that isn't good business. So uh, again, I don't know, even, even that, is, is, is that really benefiting the taxpayer? I mean, after, is it benefiting the taxpayer when we're pushing something down the road because of a, of a mistake a previous government made? I'm not sure it's a mistake. I'm sure. I think it's about a different way of of saying who will pay. So, uh, mm. a taxpayer now or a taxpayer in a few genera- in the next generation. And I've, I, I, pretty. It's much more about the redistribution of the tax burden than other thing else. Everybody will pay eventually, but who will pay? It depends. So, uh, and we. Yeah, but if that was the case, Genevieve, we just all push it on to the f- the, the the future generation. Why should we yeah. worry about it? Let them yeah. worry about it. I mean, that's, that's not responsible either. But that's what we are doing, yeah. and, and, and we are rewarding government for that. <laughs> so I think we are all doing that, so more yeah. or less consciously, but we prefer less taxes than more taxes. And if we have to pay more hydro bills, well, yeah. let's have the next generation pay for that. That's basically our natural instincts, and I agree with you. We should change that, and we should ha- it, it should be more clear uh, how our money is, is spent towards. So, for instance, if you pay for infrastructure, you build a new hospital, that would make sense that you two generations pay also for that. So mm-hmm. to borrow would make sense. But if it is for uh, electricity consumption, for now, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure that sh- that should be the case. And so when we say more transparency and having more complete information, this is about uh, that kind of issue that 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 matters another matter also important is how much do you pay when you borrow interest rates are very low currently so you mm-hmm. may take advantage of that that would make sense when they're going to be at 10 percent that's another matter but currently they like at two three percent for the ontarian government it's a bargain mm. so maybe you should spend more but this we need this information it's not just with one number that we have the information we need more than just a number and be a bit more sophisticated when we talk about that understand the big bigger picture and come up with a better assessment of the uh, of, of this situation. Will we get that, Genevieve, or do you think this is all politics? We don't get it. Uh, unfortunately, I think it's politics, uh, basic politics. And as you said at the beginning, a new government comes in and say, will say, yes, the book are, 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 uh, are not right, and so uh, we're going to launch our own inquiry, and all government do that. The Megun- uh, Dr. McGinty did that when he came to office. Um, uh, uh, all the, the Quebec government done that. So it's, it's a natural instinct to do so. And maybe we should stop and have a more uh, independent assessment of the situation. But by talking about it publicly, I think that's a good start. Um, is it now more important this time simply because we are questioning the different types of accounting use, being used? Uh, yes, you know, as we said, mm-hmm. sorry to interrupt, but as we said, you know, every government does this. But is it different now because we are questioning it so much? 
Yes, I think so. We're coming a bit more unease with that. And so uh, it matters and people, I think, pay more attention to it. First of all, in, during the election campaign, we talk about finances much more than we used to do. And so we, we want government or one party to say, uh, this is how we see the situation and this is how we'll, we'll address that. Uh, so the fact that uh, we want more answers and more uh, fact-based analysis, I think, is a good thing. And we are intent to ask questions. And we should ask questions. We should ask the Ford government to say, okay, what will you do? What's your plan? And, and be transparent with that also. That's important. So we have seen some reports uh, published since last week. Uh, that's a good starting point. I've read a few of those reports. Um, they're not very elaborated, meaning that uh, they don't go in depth very much. Uh, I would like to have much more information and, and then to have a more public debate. But uh, yes, probably I would say it's more important that now than it used to be uh, many years ago. Will we learn from this? Can we learn from this from these investigations that are going on now? Um, I don't think so. I'm hopeful, but I'm not as confident because uh, you, you know what? Uh, that may surprise many persons, but in Ontario, there's it's one of the most transparent system. If you look at the provinces in Canada, so all the documentation that is published and how we do project, do the estimates and and and, uh, and how do we project uh, spendings in the, in the future for the coming years, um, and that was established with the McGuinty government in 2004, and so we thought things would have improved. Now we have a government a new government that comes in and say uh, so we start all over again mm. should we start all over again while not built on what has been already uh, done like the uh, pre-electoral report of the auditor general that was an initiative by the McGinty government and and continue and try to improve it much more but not start from scratches all the time what do you think they're going to find out genevieve Mm, nothing. <laughs> Sorry to say, but I don't see. I to see that uh, money was hired and spent on on, on frivolous thing. I, I don't see anything. So we'll know where everything went. We just may not agree with it all. Exactly. Yes, that's what will happen. Yes. Um, is will we will at the end of all of this will we come up with one sort of system that everyone can agree with, not just depending on the the political party of the day. If there is a political will, we'll come up with what? Uh, that's for sure. It has been done in elsewhere in other provinces, I think like British Columbia, for instance, or Alberta. But we need a political will. We'll need a political will that will build consensus. And frankly, I don't see it now. So maybe it will change. But uh, for what I have heard from the Premier until now, uh, I don't see this idea of bringing everybody on board and trying to create a consensus. Now, the report that was tabled last week uh, by the former Premier of British Columbia, Gordon Campbell, exactly said that also, saying we need a consensus. And for him, it was having the Auditor General and the government sitting at the same table and come up with a set of rules that everybody would agree. Mm. That's a good starting point. Hopefully, they will be able to talk together. Um, We'll see how it goes. Hopefully, opposition party will also be able to be on board and talk with the government. Uh, With the select committee, I'm not sure if it, that also could be a good starting point, but having seen the mood and the atmosphere in Queen's Park until now, I'm not sure that we'll see a lot of cooperation. <laughs> yeah. But I may be wrong. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Uh, does this is this a priority? Does this resonate with Ontarians? Is this one of those things that yeah we want this fixed? No, it's a debate among experts. I think so. Mm. Uh, what will 
people think is a, the 15 billion deficit figure um, agree or not upon that and who should pay should we tax the riches or not or cut taxes that kind of debate that's going on all the time um, but in the end I don't think that uh, most people will, will pay close attention to that. You don't think this resonates or do they remember what a previous government did a year ago or so on? Uh, not the technicality they will remember the 15 billion dollars because that's a big figure and we say well that's twice that than what was uh, estimated. Um, but uh, apart from that, I don't think the, we'll go into the details of how come we came with that figure. And uh, is that a good figure? There are some debates about that. As I said, the accounting profession is not in agreement uh, about that. So there are different views on, on, on those numbers. Genevieve, do you think political parties learn from this? Do you think the liberals learn, you know, understand what happened? Do they understand why the other party won? Or is it just about regrouping and winning the next one? I think they understand. I, I do see a kind of, uh, we, we have more knowledge. So we, we learn from the past collectively. I, I would go and, and, and support that, assess, that assessment. Um, and I would even say that um, Politicians are quite eager to listen to us uh, in the sense that they need to be elected, and so they need our support. That's that's the basic of democracy, so that's the good mm -hmm. news. And so if we voice enough our concern, they will pay attention and they will deliver uh, what we want. Of course, I don't say that everything goes well. They may try to cover a few things. They will try to present things on, on a positive uh, side. Uh, but that's for us to pay attention. So then again, that's democracy. So yes, I would be kind of in the optimistic camp and saying, uh, yes, they do learn. But at the same time, there is a natural habit of uh, thinking about ourselves. And so politicians want to be reelected. Uh, taxpayers want to see their tax cut. Um, those beneficiaries of public service want more services. And so there's a debate. And I think that's normal in our in our society. Genevieve Tellier has been with us, Professor, School of Political Studies, University of Ottawa. Fascinating, Genevieve. Thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We all know about a municipal election, the municipal election coming up in October, October 22nd. Uh, lots of chatter in Toronto about them uh, switching theirs all around and what the Premier's been doing to reduce the seats from 47 to 25. Well, here's another spin on the municipal election that uh, it encourages voting, I guess. Uh, but also, uh, again, just uh, shows us what candidates have to do to get our attention and what may do to get our attention. Uh, let's bring in Ryan Coles, counselor, uh, candidate counselor, uh, council candidate in Cambridge, who's posted a picture online that is generating a bit of controversy. Ryan is with us now. Ryan, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hi, how are you? So tell us a bit about yourself, Ryan. Is this your first venture into politics? Yes, it uh, definitely is. And you're running for Ward 7 in Cambridge, I understand. How did you get the idea? Well, tell everybody what you've done. Uh, well, uh, before this year, I was not uh, politically active at all. Uh, like um, many people that I know, I, I, I just was completely uninvolved. Uh, and then this year, I um, began making documenting some of the homeless and opioid crisis that is uh, happening all across the nation and, and especially here 
in uh, the downtown Cambridge area. Um, and that uh, got a lot of attention, and it, uh, it gave me uh, an outlet to, uh, to, to be who I am and, 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 and try to, to help out and, and do what I can. So uh, a number of people, those videos got a lot of attention uh, on YouTube, on my channel, Tree Camps, and I, I was asked by a number of people to run for, for city council. And, and, I, and I actually dismissed the idea at, at first. And, and uh, the more I, I looked into it and thought about it, I, I thought this is something I could really do and, and could, I think I could be very good at. And, and uh, the city um, could appreciate what I have to offer. So I, uh, two weeks before the end of nomination, I, I, I got nominated. I got my, my signatures and, and then I had to really get to work on, on learning everything about the, the political system and, and the local community and get myself up to speed. So I, I, you know, uh, definitely did that. And, uh, my campaign has been going really well. And uh, basically, uh, I, I decided to do the vote uh, naked hashtag. Um, again, it was something I, I didn't uh, think about considering doing at first. And then after thinking about the idea for uh, a few weeks, it, it, uh, I thought that it could actually be a very beneficial thing to bring awareness to uh, voting and then online voting especially which uh, we have a couple weeks to do that. And uh, I definitely support the online voting. So, um, yeah. So this campaign, Hashtag Vote Naked, is, is really about uh, trying to encourage those to, to move towards voting online. Um, yes. Uh, the more I, I thought about um, um, doing the, the hashtag and the photograph, I thought this is this is gonna uh, be um, something. Yeah, this gonna be very impactful. And I have seen already that there is uh, a good number of people that have never have never voted that are are most likely gonna vote now and didn't know that they could vote online. And I think it's such a great thing because there's there's so many people that want to. It's such a great thing that you can do some research online, get interactive. Um, and 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 vote. Uh, it's uh, I think a really a really good thing. So I see. Yeah, I wanted to bring as much awareness to that as I could. I thought about things in media. Actually, one of the things that came to mind was the Austin Powers movie where he does a, a long scene where he's naked and he, he's covering himself with different right. food objects in yes. the hotel room. Yeah. Um, and and I thought about a lot of things and I thought this this is acceptable and and some people. Are probably not going to like it, but I think overall it was it was like the right thing to do, and that I was I was so uh, good for it. Good, good for the thing. campaign. Good for the campaign. You know about online voting and a good way for you to propel your name into uh, in, into the electorate and, and not being an incumbent or any of that sort of thing. It has got you publicity. For sure, for sure, and it, and it represents what I'm about about openness and and transparency and forward thinking and you're not going to be it, naked in the council chambers are you if you get in no definitely be wearing a <laughs> suit um i it was a one-time deal for me 
something I had to put a lot of consideration into before I did it. So that being said, things like this can go either way. What's the feedback been like? Yeah, some people have been absolutely hated it. Um, some of the first comments were, you know, take this down. And and uh, and I understand some people, um, you know, think it, it looks bad on, you know, the city and things like that. Um, I did get the idea from uh, a former candidate who actually did the same thing, mm-hmm. who is uh, a professor, and he... Uh, posted four years ago in the local elections, and he was running for a ward here in Cambridge. Uh, and so I was inspired by by him, and I did notice it's not it's not the most popular thing when you Google hashtag vote naked. It's not like everyone's doing it. Do you think it's, this is helping or hurting your campaign? Well, I think that it's going to hurt a little bit, but it's going to help more i'm hoping and uh and ultimately it it was really about you know what's the best thing for for the voting system and because that's a a big issue uh uh, right now is the engagement uh with the the politics and and especially local politics what would you i'm playing devil's advocate here what do you say to those that say this is just all a a bad publicity stunt and um you know you don't need a naked pick in order to promote your cause um i think in this case uh it was called for and uh like i said i hold myself very professionally um the rest of the time and I think uh, to some of those people, I do say that, well, you need to promote yourself and your cause and, and, and you know, and who you are. So um, with, you know, with some of the documentaries I've done and people have, have, you know, mentioned things like that. And I think that it is called for because it, it brings awareness and, and, uh, and the attention is going to the right place. So when, how long has this been out, and who have you talked to? Has, has it generated interest for you? Yes. It, uh, generally, the response was the, the, the positive response outweighed the negative response. Um, I'm very happy with, with the results. It was out, uh, I think, just two days ago. Uh, it was posted, and the very next day, our local paper, the Cambridge Times, did an article. I'm not sure if uh, the uh, record, the Kitchener Waterloo record, is going to pick that up as well. Um, but it uh, it's had a really good response overall, for sure. It's it's been exactly what I what I wanted um, when I was taking the photo, and and uh, yeah, it's been great. Uh, any feedback from other politicians? Oh, you know, I think a lot of them are, are staying out of this one. Um, I know, especially locally, um, there hasn't been much talk from from the other candidates and politicians. Have any of them used this against you in any way? I mean, what happens if you get down to a debate and all of a sudden they start questioning this? Well, I have an important debate coming up, and I'm, I'm hoping to do well on that and, and get all my, my points across. Um, I, I don't know. I, will ne- I, don't, uh, I don't really like to attack people you know I hope no one attacks me and it and and if they do I'll just uh, you know I'll just 
you know, handle it as best best that I can and try to, you know, plead my case. Ryan Coles has been with us, counselor candidate in Cambridge, who has a post new to uh, not only promote his campaign, but jump aboard the hashtag Vote Naked campaign, which is to promote online voting. Ryan, thanks for the time. Good luck. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Municipal election coming up uh, October 22nd, and it's always difficult for those trying to get into the fray for the first time. Always the incumbents have the advantage because their name is uh, more familiar. So what are you to do being a new candidate? Well, a new candidate. How about a nude candidate? Uh, Ryan Coles, counselor candidate in Cambridge, uh, posted online uh, a naked pic of himself. Uh, with the hashtag Vote Naked. This is all part of an international campaign to uh, encourage online voting to get more to participate and more to go out. Of course, it's a great cause. Uh, The picture has the uh, potential counselor standing naked, uh, lit very professionally off one side. You know, it looks like it's a professionally done sort of shot uh, with a newspaper in front of his private parts and holding a uh, cup of coffee. Vote for me. Uh, and again, this is all part of the hashtag Vote Naked campaign, which, uh, of course, is on Twitter. Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, PR, pop culture expert, principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. She is with us now. Why not have all of our politicians naked, Alyssa? Is this the, is this the future? Is this where we're going? Is, is, this what the, is this what populism, is this what a populist government becomes? Naked? Well, listen, you know what? Municipal politics, uh, you know, usually has a low voter turnout. We know that. Yep. And councillors are often, you know, acclaimed or they get in and you look at the vote counts and they're low. But, uh, you know, I have to be honest, until I saw the hashtag vote naked, I didn't realize that I could vote from home or I could vote online. So I have to say that it's... So it wasn't about the naked man on the picture. It was, oh my goodness, the message did get across to Alyssa. Well, (laughs) let's say it was a little bit of both. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I interrupted. Go ahead. You know what? And I, you know, some people, they said were offended, but I wasn't offended. I thought, first of all, the photo was tastefully done. Mm -hmm. Secondly, it made me think, well, what do you mean vote naked? Oh, I can vote from home online. And then thirdly, this particular counselor, he is known as an activist. He does champion causes that often need have are in great need, such as homelessness, but get little recognition. So I think he understands what he knows that he has to do in order to get attention. So this is not straying that far from his brand or what people know him for. So in this case, I have to say that, yes, it's a little bit, you know, tongue in cheek or newspaper over private part. But I get it and I'm not offended by it. and I think it's great. And he's used uh, a cause to promote his own. Well, exactly. He has. And, you know, and I think that he sort of co-opted it from another. Yeah. uh, It was called, um, what was it, Vote in the Buff or something to that effect. And apparently there was another area politician that did the same thing uh, last election and got some traction out of it. So why not, right? You know, listen, anytime you try to gain some notoriety, people want to do it through the media. And I often counsel my clients, listen, media relations should really be your last resort. You have to build a brand. You have to build your own narrative. People have to know you know, yeah, people have to understand what they know you for. So b- based on that, um, he probably has done that over the years of, you know, activism through his in his community. 
And so I don't think this is much of a stray from his own narrative. And it's hard to gain recognition. I always say municipal elections, he or she with the most signs wins. Because it's the only way you know who to vote for in your riding if you are so inclined to vote municipally. And this way, what I do hope is that people do put together naked guy with, you know, the council they're supposed to be voting for. Uh, why not put this on your sign? Why not put it on your sign? Well, that's or maybe, or maybe you could just have it peering over the top of the sign where you don't actually see the newspaper. I mean, there might be different ways of doing it. Well, but should think, he cash in on this and put it on his sign? I'm that guy. Well, listen, you know, from a cost perspective, you know, creating election signs is not cheap. And secondly, this sounds like it was a bit of an afterthought. So, you know, for him to create the linkage between naked guy and his name... Yeah, I would have to say that that would probably be a good idea, Scott, because I don't know if you can put on the ballot naked guy and put <laughs> X by it. <laughs> Maybe that's what they should be doing. They should be putting pictures next to the ballot, next to no, the... No, just, uh, just where change you... his name. Oh, man. What about other councillors? How do they react to this? Well, they're behind the eight ball. On They're behind, you know, they're, they, they have to play catch up. Because here's somebody who with, well, there's still quite a ways to go, because when is it, October 22nd? Mm -hmm. So there's still quite a ways to go. And now they're thinking, okay, so what are we going to do in order to sort of up the ante? And that's hard to do, because somebody's already taken the idea. So if you try to take the idea also, Mm. you're just seen as a copycat. So based on that, um, the other counselors are going to have to try a little harder, become a little bit more creative, and do what they can do in order to create their own notoriety. You know, you bring up a valid point because up until now, uh, it's the lawn sign. Like you said, it's lawn sign politics, and we're starting to see that heat uh, to heat up wherever you are. Uh, does this up the ante? Does does what? How do you how do you go from how do you take it from beyond the lawn sign? I think he already has. So, you know, you really have to think out of the box on this one or out of the box or brief on this one. But um, terrible puns. I know, Scott. So sorry. <laughs> There's so many here. But there are so many. I don't even know where to start, quite frankly. But, you know, we think about how people gain notoriety in municipal politics. Has it even changed in the last decade? Has it changed in the last two decades? No. There are uh, candidates now do use Twitter. But unless you're actively following them, you don't know that. Yeah. Um, they have Facebook pages, but you have to like that page in order to know um, what the counselor is up to. And unless you are putting um, advertising behind your Facebook page, people don't know. So even if you are active on social media, unless you're uh, engaging in some sort of paid advertisement, still, you're, you're t- preaching to the converted. You're talking to your followers already. So what what more is there to know? And then, I guess and I guess he is putting a cross. It's not like he's just posing naked here. He's got a message here. He's part of the hashtag Vote Naked campaign. So can you uh, accuse him of exploiting something here? No, I think if you can, only, the only thing you can accuse him of is being creative and being brave enough to do it. To be quite honest, you know. So when you look at all the different distribution methods that a candidate can use or leverage in order to gain notoriety. And the last one would be uh, a mail drop. And when you get those flyers yeah, advertising your municipal candidate, do you really read them, Scott? No. 
or do you just look at it and go, They yeah. make it right to the recyclable bin. Well, you know, you might, if, if you happen to be reading it on the way to the recycling box, yeah. then, you know, maybe maybe that will work. What about so, those What about those that say, do you need a naked pick to promote the cause? Like, come on here, playing devil's well, advocate. This well, is just kind, a poor taste of, publicity stunt. It, it kind of... Um, Reminds me that when I was in high school and you want somebody to pay attention and we used to make these posters and on the top of the poster it would say sex now that I have your attention. (laughs) So to be quite honest, you know, not much has changed, Scott. So do you need to be do you need to be naked? No. But hey, is this do the old tropes still work in getting people's attention? Attention? Yeah. Yeah, it's the old story of the bare naked ladies, you know, using that moniker because it got people uh, into the establishment. And, and boy, it certainly got the mayor of Toronto's attention way back when. And thank you for the publicity. Do you know what? Who was that mayor then? And I do remember that, that they were supposed to perform at June. That's it. June Rollins? June Rollins. June Rollins. Right. Yes. And I remember that. And she, they, it, was, it was also very, very big when the censorship, yeah, when the censorship committee was was around. So, you know, I think she thought it would have legs. But and, and I think, and I could be wrong here. Anecdotally, I remember hearing that the only reason they used that name is because they couldn't use free beer because the liquor laws didn't allow them to do that. Right. Well, what can I say? So, what should Doug Ford be using for his next campaign? I'm not even going there, Scott. Come on. <laughs> I, you know, just How about do what I say or else. All right. Okay, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Uh, Alyssa Freeman has been with us, PR and pop culture expert, principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. Thank you, as always, Alyssa. Good luck with the move. Thank you. All right. Bye. You take care. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let us, uh, let's move on. Uh, and 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 talk about uh, landlords renting and property managers and apartment owners and such. There's been lots of chatter in this city, especially uh, of late, of uh, slum landlords, uh, landlords that are absentee and 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 people that are putting up with buildings that uh, are in disrepair and such. And uh, of course, whenever those stories um, uh, are, are mentioned, they they do get a lot of attention. What about the other side of the story? Uh, there's a group of people that want their side heard. Let's bring in Adam Kitchener. Uh, uh, sorry, Adam Kitchener. He is from Unlimited Residential Living and is with us now. Adam, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me on. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, responding to your press releases, uh, your press release that you set out in regard to uh, landlord, the landlord conference coming up October 21st. What are your concerns? What are your thoughts as a person who represents these people? Landlords are getting uh, the brunt end of media. It seems we seem to be very much a punching bag when it comes to the recent articles on rent evictions and rent strikes and slumlords and raising rents, and we're really taking the heat. So what we're trying to do is, one, make ourselves a little bit more vocal in the media so that people can hear the other side of the story. And two, we're hoping to get the politicians to start to talk to us, because right now no one's talking to landlords about how to solve the housing crisis. And my big thing is, if you want to... If you want lower rents, you need to talk to landlords. You don't ask uh, uh, the end user to figure out how to make cars cheaper. You ask the manufacturer 
how to make cars cheaper. And, and the same goes with real estate. Uh, nobody's talking to landlords. Nobody's asking them, how do we bring your rents down? So what is the other side of this issue? What are the challenges that landlords face? You know, when we hear stories of buildings in disrepair and such, I mean, obviously you can't answer to specific scenarios and, and, and such, but, but what are your challenges and what do you want the public to know? What we currently face is a landlord-tenant board that is completely backlogged. It can take, uh, I mean, the eviction process can take up to six months to get someone out of a building. And we are forced to shoulder the burden of that tenant for the six months that uh, they're still in the unit. Um, and that, and so does every other tenant that has to put, it, uh, put up with that person in the building. So if they're a particularly bad tenant, um, that's quite a, a long time to have to deal with that situation. Meanwhile, um, you know, if a tenant doesn't want to pay rent, the, the adjudicators, the, the landlord-tenant board, puts it on our shoulders to have to carry that tenant through their financial hardship. And that's not something that many landlords can burden. Uh, not speaking about, you know, larger companies. I'm sp- speaking about the small mom-and-pop landlords, which is the majority in this province. The majority of landlords are small, uh, hard-working entrepreneurs, families who have a, se- a full-time job, and they own a second property as rental income on the side. And they're forced to carry tenants I've seen rent arrears as high as $6,000 before the judge finally says, okay, you're evicted on the street. Um, and and that's, that's, not, uh, that's not reasonable, in my opinion. So you're representing uh, those that are, that are doing this on, on, on uh, you use the word mom and pop sort of thing, as opposed to the large developers that may have giant buildings. Correct. And what's the difference? How do we differentiate between the two? We aren't, um, landlords, the majority of landlords are not millionaires and billionaires. They are um, middle-class individuals who are using these rental incomes as their retirement fund. I don't have a pension plan. I don't have benefits. My retirement is going to be on my income properties 25 years from now when I've paid the mortgages off. And that's the difference between us and the the big guys. Um, And right now, Landlords across Ontario are being pummeled with uh, unfair landlord-tenant boards. Uh, We are getting killed in tenant damages. Uh, When a tenant leaves an apartment, especially if they're evicted, we're looking at repairs of, you know, the last one I just dealt with, you know, last month was $30,000 by the time we're said and done. And that's, that's not chump change to anybody, I would say. Not anyone I know. How did these rules and regulations become so unbalanced? Because, you know, obviously there was a reason for these laws to be put in place. Perhaps people were being bounced out on the street. Where's the balance here? Well, the balance comes from bringing us back to the table and having us have a formal discussion. We've been reaching out to the Doug Ford government and our NPs and our councillors, trying to get their attention to say, we want a fair system. I don't want a, a system that's biased to landlords or, or to tenants. I want a completely fair system that is in the best reflection of um, fairness. Uh, so we need to be brought back to the table. People need to talk to landlords. I see so many housing boards, affordable housing boards and committees, and all of these committees and associations, associations have no landlords on their board. Uh, why? 
Um, so that's where we need to be brought back to the table. People need to talk to landlords. We need to be sitting down with politicians and, and get our voices heard so that we can make a little bit more balance in the uh, Residential Tenancies Act um, and we get a little bit more fair treatment when it comes to standing before the Landlord-Tenant Board and, adju- and adjudicators making the decision. How organized is this group of property managers or, or apartment owners and such? Uh, how organized are you? What sort of voice do you have? We have 3,000 landlords all coming together uh, to form the Ontario Landlords Watch. We are holding a huge conference in October out in Cambridge. We've got, uh, we have uh, a couple big names already coming, and it's going to be something that's uh, going to change. Uh, we're, we're hoping this is going to be something that changes the way uh, landlords are able to run their business. This is not a wealth conference. This is a, a conference that's going to hopefully influence regulations and uh, decisions going forward. How did we get here, Adam? Uh, you know, it, it seems as if uh, your group that you represent has become the, you know, the 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 poster person or the whipping person for this cause. Uh, are you the scapegoat for lack of government uh, regulation or organization? I really believe that landlords are the scapegoat for rising housing prices. When you have to look at rising, uh, the average family home in Ontario is a half a million dollars. Uh, $100,000 of that goes towards just development fees and taxes uh, paid by the developer to build that home, uh, which is forcing a lot of middle-income families out of homes and into rentals, which is putting a huge strain on the rental market. You've got a huge portion of middle-income families looking at rentals when they should be out buying houses. And it's because of the stress test, it's because of the high house prices. And but But at the end of the day, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the landlord's um, with too much supply, uh, too much demand, not enough supply. I mean, I'd like to look at you know retirement homes that are four thousand dollars a month as well. For mm. so we're also getting seniors coming to us saying, I can't afford to stay in a retirement home. I'm looking at apartments. So you've got everybody looking at apartments as their final beacon of affordability, and they can't go anywhere else. And so yeah, yes, we are the ones who are getting the the brunt of it. We're we're the scapegoat because where else are they going to go? We're the last stop when it comes to housing. How did we get here? How did we get to this problem? I mean, it seemed at one time they were building apartment buildings per se. We don't see, don't, we don't see any of that anymore. I mean, they build condos, people buy them and then rent them out, I guess. But what is the health of the rental industry? The problem is because the regulation is so anti-landlord right now, there is no incentive for landlords to build. Hmm. Especially in 2017, Kathleen Wynne introduced rent control on top of condos and everything built after 1991, which completely destroyed the condo rental market because condo fees, uh, maintenance fees in a condo do not go up by 1.8%. They go up by whatever the condo board dictates they need. So if your condo fees go up from $100 to $300 and you're renting out that apartment, you can't recover that cost. Hmm. So a lot of landlords are just saying, you know what, I'm done, and they're walking away. I have landlords come to me every day saying, this tenant owes me $5,000. What are we doing? What what do we do? And most of them are just saying, you know what, I'll sell this home, this single-family home, put it back on the market, let someone else just live in it, and remove that complete supply from the market. This is not the way to be treating our landlords. Our landlords are housing providers, and we need to be working with them so that way we can bring our rents down and provide more houses to more people and solve this problem 
once and for all. How do you create incentive to build and yet still protect the renter? Obviously, these regulations are siding more on the side of the renter. Uh, we obviously got there for a reason. That was needed. So how do you still create the incentive to build and, and still protect the renter? The way we we need to stop with big sweeping regulations. Slapping rent control on rents is one big fancy motion that sounds good to renters, that sounds good to voters, and that's what politicians do. They do things that are sweeping that hurt everybody. They go after small one case by case. You hear a couple cases of landlords taking advantage of uh, the rental market and doubling their rent. But the few does not dictate the many. And many landlords were not doing that. And now we're all hurt. We're all painted mm. by the same broad stroke because of one, two, three bad landlords. And you would, and tenants very often request that they don't get painted by the same broad stroke. And we don't because every tenant is different and we treat them as such. We don't uh, discriminate from one tenant to the, uh, mm. all tenants. Mm. We, we, we deal with all of them on an individual basis. And that's how we need to be dealing with landlords. So if there are particular slumlords, if there are bad landlords, if there are th- people who are doing things that are unethical or not according to the, the, the standard rules that one should, should go by, deal with them on an individual basis. Deal with them in the landlord-tenant board. We have already an abundance of bylaw officers who can come out and take a look at properties that are not safe. Uh, we don't need rental licensing to dictate that. We've already got way too many things that are offered through the city to call in your landlord if he's not doing his job properly. You can go to the landlord tenant board and apply for, you know, a, a, a for, uh, you can apply to the board and, and get um, maintenance requests addressed through the board. Um, we, we don't need more regulations that are going to bog down the good landlords because there's more good than there are bad. And if you want to weed out the bad ones, we need to increase the vacancy rate. Right now, it's a landlord's market because there's zero vacancy across the mm-hmm. across the province. If we can bring that back to a three to five percent vacancy rate, if we can build so much supply that there's we start having empty apartments, landlords will have to try harder to attract more tenants. It's mm-hmm. not a uh, it's a simple case of supply and demand, and we have way too much demand, not enough supply. Many have said that whether you're talking about uh, renting apartments or building houses, many have said that they just are not doing enough to to address supply. Is anybody building apartment buildings per se anymore? I mean, where are the renters going? Are they just going to people who, uh, like yourself or the landlords you represent, that have bought an extra property and renting it out? Or are they all, are they going to condos? Where are they going if there's nothing being built? If there's no apartment buildings per se, like there was say I don't know in the 70s. There are apartments being built. Um, they are very high end. They're very um, up market, and it's mostly being built in Toronto. Um, what we're left with now is the small landlords where you know tenants need to find a single family home that's being rented from working family couple who have rented out their home to nice people um, we need to look at ways to create secondary suites and basements and and all but we need to remove a lot of the red tape that goes with it it is an incredible hurdle to build in this city uh, there was an article about a man trying to build a seven-story building out in london and the hoops he had to jump through to create rentals 
was unbelievable. And that's the problem. That's why no one's building is because the government is making it so incredibly difficult for us to build. And then for us to then take the risk on a tenant who's not going to pay us rent uh, is, is another hurdle in itself because when it takes six months to evict, when you get to arrears of $5,000, people are saying, you know what, I'm not going to put my money in real estate anymore. I'll put it somewhere else uh, where I know I can get my money back or there's a, a greater uh, chance of return. Is there any money in a developer building a rental apartment building, like, you know, something that's uh, 20 stories, 10, 20 stories? I mean, if, if, a, if a developer has the cake and the wherewithal to, to create such a building, are they going to build it for rental apartments? Or are they going to build it for condos and sell it and then be done with it? I mean, is there any advantage for a developer to have an apartment building renting out all the units? The majority of developers are not interested in renting out apartments because they can sell their condo and be done with the building. That's, exactly. That, you, you, you answered the question right there, was why would they deal with the headaches of taking on that property for the next 20 years when they can sell the units on an individual basis? Someone else can rent them on a unit-by-unit unit basis and deal with those headaches. So whose responsibility is this? How should this be done in your, in your mind? I think that the government needs to start responding to landlords when we reach out to them and uh, request to have a seat at the table. They need to respond to us. And the government needs to look at what they're doing uh, to create more affordable housing because at the end of the day, they're simply not doing it. We are getting, the, the like I said, to build condos, to build homes, they charge between 20 to 25% in development fees, which is about $100,000 on every $400,000 home. Where's that money going? It's supposed to go to infrastructure. It's supposed to go to affordable housing, but I don't see any being built. That's what I'd like to know is why isn't the government building more affordable housing? Why isn't the government reaching out to landlords saying, what can we do to make you create more units? Uh, the, and then, of course, um, the other thing that, needs, that can put a huge relief on uh, renters is if they make remove the stress tests that mortgages have and the incredible hoops that you must go through to get approved, which would open the floodgates for so many more people to go out and buy homes instead of being forced into rentals. I know millennials are complaining they can't afford home ownership. We've got people on very good incomes who can't afford home ownership. Well, those are the people who are supposed to be buying homes, not renting apartments. You can rem let's let's help them get into more homes. Yeah, good point. So obviously, the housing issue is directly tied to the rental issue. Correct. You know, couldn't we see this coming? I mean, we've been talking about this for 10 or 20 years now, and and I can never understand why, uh, and we had this discussion with Tim Hudak in regard to the, the Real Estate Association. Like, why, why are we stopping building? We're a country that has lots of land. Uh, I understand they want us stacking up like cordwood instead of, you know, uh, urban sprawl and such, but why in Ontario and in Canada, is there a shortage of housing? That's just obscene. I couldn't tell you. I know that um, the, the problem is when the government tries to control something, when people, they said that the housing market was getting too hot, so they tried to cool it. It didn't work. Every time the government... But again, to, cooling, you know, if you want to cool the housing market, you build more, you build more, and then there's more supply, <laughs> demand goes down. If, Precisely. But every, it seems to me every time the government tries to meddle with something to make things better, it just ends up making things worse. Yeah. We need to 
I mean, developers will tell you the same thing. When they go to build a condo, if you look at the condos, there was one that was just canceled in Vaughan. It was completely sold out and they canceled. They said, we're not building this. That's a serious sign of something going wrong, that a, that a building in Vaughan has sold out and they've decided not to build the thing. I think it was called Icona or something like that. Uh, all right, give us some more details on this conference at October 21st. We are holding a conference. We are going to be voicing our concerns in the, in the rental market as it stands today. Everything from tenant damages, like I said, we've got $30,000 in uh, tenant damages in some cases. We've got high tenant arrears and the fact that we have to shoulder that burden while a tenant loses their job and comes to uh, uh, goes to the board and gets a payment plan and no other scenario would this happen if you lost your you couldn't pay your mortgage the mortgage takes the house away and and uh, in this case you get to stay in your apartment we're fighting for things like that we want damaged deposits uh we want um give us the logistics when's and where's how we can find out more info if you want uh to learn more you can go to ontario landlords uh the conference is on october 21st it's in uh cambridge at uh, the portuguese club uh, you can check it out on OntarioLandlordsWatch.com. That is where the information is for the conference. And uh, you can reach out to myself as well if you need more information. All right. Adam Kitchener has been with us, Unlimited Residential Living, talking about a group of property managers and apartment owners uh, trying to get their side of the story heard. And we'll do so at a conference in Cambridge October 21st. Adam, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. No problem. Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.